Well, good morning again. To, to think we'd be here after just a few weeks. It's, uh, it's definitely an interesting time that we find ourselves in. So thankful for opportunity that we can worship together this morning, even if it is through the means of technology. And as I, as I thought about this week and as I prepared to bring the Word of God to you this morning, I, I can't help but thinking about just about a week ago, as, as we were prepared to go to bed, my wife and I were getting things ready and we were getting ready to go to bed and we had a little bit of a windstorm here in Adelaide and the wind was howling and you could hear the, the trees and we have a, a certain tree branch that will scrape the side of our home and, and I, I made the comment is I hope, hope this wind doesn't actually wake the kids up. And, uh, and sure enough, after about four hours, uh, my daughter wakes up and she's scared and she's crying and my wife got up, bless her heart, and she, she went and consoled her. And she went and reminded her that, that God is ever-present. Well, my daughter asked my wife, she said, will you stay with me until I go to sleep? And my wife said, sure, I'd be glad to. And she stayed with her, and fortunately my daughter went to sleep very quickly. Well, if you think about it, what was it that gave my daughter comfort? What gave her confidence in the midst of something that's scary? And it was the presence of a loving parent. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 46. And the psalmist knows that the most important thing, the most important person in your life during trials is God Himself. And as we look around the world that we live in, we, we see a lot that's changed from a month ago. People are naturally wary of change and while wow, we've been through a lot of change very quickly. And that change, that rapid change, really causes great fear and anxiety in people's hearts. And then you add to this rapid change the threat of sickness and the threat of death. And fear is compounded. The idols of people's hearts are found to be worthless when fighting something that is small and invisible like a virus. That's why we see a run on supplies and toilet paper. People have this vain, and it's this vain attempt to try to bring some order to chaos. To have some control in the uncontrollable. But it really comes down to fear and anxiety. But the danger for us as Christians and the danger for, for all of you is that you can be swept along in the flood of fear if you are not careful with your thought life. Watching the news constantly, dwelling on all the bad things happening in the world, thinking about all the worst case scenarios that, that could possibly happen to you and your family can cause you to take your focus off of Jesus Christ. If you give in to that fear and anxiety, it will begin to cause you to doubt the goodness and justice of God. 
your faith will waver, and you will constantly be looking for something that gives you a sense of security. God desires that trials or the trials that you go through in your life, He desires that you remain strong and that you have the right attitude in those trials. That's why James says, consider it all joy when you go through trials. And that's my desire for you all as well, is that today as we go through Psalm 46, my prayer is the psalm would would encourage you and strengthen your faith. Because the psalmist here focuses on fear and anxiety. Now, it's not a stockpile of water, of food, of toilet paper, or or even a, a mighty army that's going to give the righteous security and safety in times of trouble. It's God Himself. Today, we're going to be looking at God's presence and how God's presence gives us help in times of trouble. We'll be looking at how God's presence gives His people confidence and how God's presence gives comfort to His people and how God's presence gives hope to His people. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Psalm 46. And let's take a look. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and the foam, and though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, and He raised His voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease and the, to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two and He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So the first item, the first thing, the first way that the psalmist wants to encourage God's people is, he wants to encourage God's people that God's presence gives confidence to His people. So you see, first of all, that God is what we need. Look in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A refuge is a shelter. It's used for protection in times of trouble or natural disasters or wars, etc. It's used figuratively of God. The idea is that God is sufficient to protect His people. A refuge is a place of safety. And the word there in the Hebrew can also be used to translate it a place of trust. It's a person to trust. You think about the rich of this world and, and their desire to provide for themselves a, a place of safety and they have these panic rooms where they can go and, and live out times of danger and turmoil. Well, we don't, we don't need a panic room 
brethren. We, we have God Almighty as our refuge. So that no matter what's happening to us externally, God does not change. There is no promise of God that you will not go through trials. So don't misunderstand me. Tough times will come. We live in a, a sinful world and the effects of the fall are ever abounding to us. We live in a world of corruption that groans for the return of Jesus Christ. Famines, floods, natural disasters, wars, etc. Sin has drastically altered the perfection of God's creation. What you have in the midst of life's storms, though, is Jesus Christ. He is safe and He tells His saints, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not only is God a refuge, but He's a strength. He's our strength. And the idea is is He is our enablement. He gives us strength when we have none ourselves. God is the source of your strength. Now, we've just gotten through recently, or very recently, the study in the book of Colossians. And I love Paul's prayer for these Colossian believers that he's never met He prays for these Colossians in chapter 1, verses basically 9 through 12. And he he says, For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And listen to this and strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. The idea here is, is, it's a word that's used twice for emphasis. Strengthened with all strength or empowered with all power. Paul is praying for these believers that they would have the strength necessary to walk in a manner pleasing God that they would attain patience and steadfastness in the trials in their lives. See, God doesn't leave us alone. He provides the strength that we need. God will give you the strength that you need to endure and persevere in trials that He sends your way. He's not surprised and He knows what you can handle. He often brings trials in our life to bring us to an end of ourselves, to to let us realize that we have no strength. Because our natural tendency is to depend upon ourselves. That's our human pride. We lean on our own understanding. And we don't seek after God and His wisdom. That's why James says in chapter 1 that in the midst of trials we should pray for wisdom. Because the natural tendency is us to try to figure it out on our own and depend upon ourselves. That's our human pride. But we have God's strength and we have His grace. We have His wisdom. God told Paul when Paul asked God to remove the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And His power is demonstrated in our weakness. So in times of trouble, you have God as a, as a refuge, a safe place, a, a secure place. But you also have Him as your strength. 
So God is our refuge, He's our strength, and the psalmist says that He is a very present help in time of trouble. You see, God is help, and when you think of help, help is something that we can't do on our own. So God supplies what is lacking. But it also implies, too, if, when we're, if we are giving God or asking God for help, that we're giving over our own wills and our pride and asking God for that help. Because like I said before, our natural tendency is self-sufficiency. That's human pride. You see, God has proved Himself. God is faithful. He has proved Himself to be a help to His people. Taste and see that the Lord is good, as David says. We've tasted Him. Those of you that lived as Christians for, for more than a few years have seen God's faithfulness in your lives. You've tasted God's goodness. He is what you need most of all. It's not toilet paper. Right? It's not supplies at your home. It's not more financial income. It's not social distancing. It's God. When you think about an example of this from Scripture, and I was thinking about 1 Samuel 7, and, and in 1 Samuel 7, it, it, you have the, the Philistines that are constantly attacking and, and harming the Israelites. They've been defeated, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken, and then it was given back, and, and Samuel calls the nation in, in verse, sorry, chapter 7, and he calls the nation to, to a national repentance they thought they could overcome the Philistines through physical means, and what they really need was just to depend on God. See, God gave them victory. He did something for them that they could not do themselves. And I love the Samuel. He, he builds a monument, and he builds that monument, and he names it Ebenezer. So there you go, Jordan, the next name of your baby right there, Ebenezer. See, we figured it out. So Ebenezer, it means God is our help, right? Look, God is never missing in a crisis. He's not a politician, right? He doesn't go missing. God is not missing. You don't need to look at your bank account or, or look at your government or anything else physical. Even a person to meet your needs. You have to trust in the knowledge that God helps His people. Is he your Ebenezer? But the psalmist continues and he says, not only is, is God what you need, and he draws out those principles, but he also says that you have no need to fear. Look down in verse 2. He says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, and the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake. He basically says that we will not fear. It's a statement of confidence, but it's also a statement of encouragement. You could imagine the Israelites looking at each other and go, we will not fear, because we have God. You see, in view of God's presence, in view of God as our refuge and our strength and our help, what do we have to fear? You see, if the whole world comes crashing down, God remains the same. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about natural disasters that are outside our control. These calamitous events. 
He says, though the earth should change, that events that shake the social and the physical structures in our lives. These, these changes result in an altered state of affairs. Long-lasting change. And who knows if, if the effects of this, this quarantine and this virus and this pandemic are going to have long-lasting changes to our society. But you know what? God doesn't change and we don't have anything to fear. You think of the drop of the atomic bombs in 1945 and how the, the opening Pandora's box, so to speak, has changed our world. We can't go back to, to putting that atomic energy back into a box. It's, everybody knows about it. We, we're concerned about it. You have to worry about proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. But we don't have to be afraid. And he says, look, don't be afraid even though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. What's more, what's more strong or what's more, a better example, excuse me, of a mountain and a steadfastness, something that seems to be, always be there. How terrifying it would be for a mountain to fall into the sea. And he says, if the seas roar and foam, it says, even the mountains shake at the power of the sea. We're talking about earthquakes and tsunamis and typhoons or, or hurricanes, as we call them in the U.S. All these things, if, if all of these things are happening in the world around us and they're outside of our control, what do we have to fear? The psalmist says, we will not fear. It's an expression of confidence in the Lord. You see, God is sovereign over all His creation. And you must trust Him for your provision and for your protection. All of these things are outside of your control. It's an illusion that we actually have any sort of control in our lives. That's the perfectionist. The perfectionist, they, they like everything ordered because it gives them a sense of security. They think they actually can control things. And when things go out of, out of their control and, and they can't align everything the way they like it, it causes anxiety and fear. But to, to an extent, we're all like that in different varying degrees. See, God is in control. You've got to hold your thoughts captive. And when you, when you have that, that, those thoughts of anxiety and those thoughts of fear, you have to remind yourself that God is our refuge, God is our strength, God is our help, and that I will not fear. So we have God's presence gives confidence to His people. But God's presence also gives comfort to His people. Look down in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the, the holy dwelling places of the Lord Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations make an uproar. and The kingdoms tottered. He raised His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Well, God dwells with His people, first of all. He is the focus of this particular section. He's, a, he's the focus of our lives. The psalmist, over and over, if you notice, he says, look, it's the city of God, the dwelling place of the God Most High, that God is in the midst of her. God will help her. God raised His voice. So God gives confidence, but He gives us comfort. Look, He says that there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Lord Most High. God is in the midst of her. 
Now, in the context of this particular psalm, we're talking about Jerusalem, where God's tabernacle, where His, his, his temple was built, and, and you have God's Shekinah glory that would appear over the Ark of the Covenant, a visible reminder of the presence of God among His people in the capital city that God chose and that will be His capital even when Jesus Christ returns to earth. 2 Chronicles 6.6 6, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. So we know that God was in their midst. But what about us as the church? Because there is a, a distinction between the way God worked in the time of the Israelites and the way He works in the church age. What about us? Well, the Holy Spirit indwells us, empowers us, prays for us, comforts us. Individually and corporately, you all are part of the body of Christ, part of the church. 2 Corinthians 6.6, 6, For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Or Romans 8.9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells within you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You see, we also have our, our union with Christ. If you guys remember from our study in Colossians, we talked over and over how we're in Christ, we're in union with Him. He's our head. He is head of the body that we are part of, His body. And Jesus' promised in Matthew 28, 20, He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are in Christ. right? It's our position. It does not change. Those circumstances change. Our position in Christ does not change. Be comforted by that, brethren. God's presence should, should comfort you to know that troubling times, He is there. Right? Nothing can remove us out of His hand. Most of you know the the name of Admiral Horatio Nelson, the great admiral that brought victory to the British fleet in the Battle of Trafalgar. What you might not know is that his second-in-command, Lord Collingwood, took over after Admiral Horatio Nelson's death, and he led the ships through the rest of the battle and even through a great storm. And in that process, didn't even lose a single ship. But not only was he known as a great admiral and a great seaman and a friend of Nelson, but he was also known for his exceptional treatment of his crew. I've got a note here from sailor Robert Hay that served with Admiral Collingwood, and he wrote that he and his dog Bounce were known to every member of the crew. How attentive he was to the health and comfort and happiness of those around him. A man could not be happy under him, could not be happy anywhere. And a look of displeasure from him was as bad as a dozen looks from the gangway from another man. See, a better seaman, a better friend to seaman, and a more zealous defender of the country's rights and honor never trod the quarterdeck. So when we think about Admiral Collingwood, you think about the fact that he was among his 
men. And they took great comfort in the fact that even in the midst of battle, they knew that he was going to care about them, that he had their interest at heart. You see, God dwells with his people. What a great comfort it is to know that our Creator, the Creator God Most High, is with us always, no matter what troubles we go through in our life, what afflicts us in the present, how attentive it is to His people. He cares for you. He cares for you as saints. Not only as God dwells with His people, but we have, and His people have security with Him. He's our source of life. Verse 4, there's a river whose streams may glad the city of God. When you think about cities in those days, you would build a city near a water source, a river, a lake, a stream. And Jerusalem was no different. It was built near the waters of the Gihon Spring. And that was, water was channeled into pools, most famous of which is the, what, the Pool of Siloam. Right? So all that water was channeled. And what it was is, is that water was channeled into these streams or should be into these pools so that if an invading army came and encircled the city, the people would still have a fresh water source. So it gave them a sense of security and comfort knowing that there was an ever-present water source among their mist. I just saw a pool of Siloam not too recently. I saw it in Beachport down in southern South Australia. It's named for its uh, more famous cousin in, in Israel, but it is spring-fed. And they say that it is seven times the salinity of the ocean. And so it has a lot of buoyancy. It's a great place to swim. I didn't swim in it. It was a little chilly. <coughs> but it's important for the nation of Israel to have a water source. And so you can imagine just the mention of this water source would make glad the people because it was a visible picture of God's provision for them. As long as they had that water source going, they knew that God was providing for them. Because water, as you know, is necessary for life. So you had God's protection and His provision. And what a comfort that will be. And then he says God will help them. He said Israel or Jerusalem would not be moved. He said that she would not be shaken. The idea is, is the same word for the mountains slipping into the sea. The nation, the, the, the city itself would not be shaken and moved and given over to great fear. And then he says, as the morning dawns. You know what? I love this picture. He said, God helps when the morning dawns. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn. It always seems, those trials that we go through in life always seem so dark. But then God brings somebody in our life or some measure of encouragement through His Word or through His Holy Spirit and, and it just seems to lift our spirits and bring a ray of light into the darkness. The psalmist says, the nations roar. It's the same word used in verse 3 for roar of the sea. The nations can roar against Jerusalem and goes back to what shall we fear? Right? The kingdoms rise and they fall and they totter or they slip. So God's people face troubles from natural disasters, but they also face troubles from, from man. But it says that God helps. God is present. God is there. And actually it says that God intervenes. He, he raises His voice and what? The nations melt. Now in the Old Testament, God promised certain 
national promises to Israel and He promised to protect Him as long as they remained in covenant obedience. Now in the New Testament, those the promises that God has for us to intervene are a little different. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, there's a process by which, as we know from James, that, that God is conforming you to His image, that He is maturing you. And that's His ultimate goal, that you would be Christ-like. And whether He removes the trial or gives you the strength to endure it, it is in His sovereign purview. But be comforted by the fact that God is present. He is near. You know, I recently ran across a list of things that, of what people, or what give people security in this life. And it was an interesting list. Maybe you would add some things to it or take some things away, but here's the list. It says that wealth, public safety, responsible friends, personal health, clean air and water, good roads, seamless infrastructure, good government policies, responsible children, and peace of mind. We give people this life. You know what all these things? They're all subjective. Right? And they all can be taken away in a moment. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we boast and trust in the name of the Lord our God. What a great comfort it is to know that no matter what happens around you, God is unchanging. All those worldly things in the previous list, they, they can easily be taken away, and, but yet God remains constant in trials and in troubles. Whether you face natural disasters or even man-made ones, we can look to God for your security and you can look to God for your safety. Wealth and health are fleeting. Your circumstances can change in an instant. But know that you are God's children, that you are protected, and you are provided for by Him. The last point that the psalmist makes is he said that God's presence gives us confidence. God's presence gives us comfort. But he says God's presence gives us hope. Look down in verse 8. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord. It's a call. He's saying, look, come and see the things that God has done and that God is going to do. Look, pay attention to. And then he says, he has wrought desolations in the earth. First of all, when you think about desolations, you, you think about something laid bare. He's talking about judgment, that God will judge the wicked. They will not get away with their sinful rebellion forever. Right? God, the judgment upon the wicked is inescapable. And he says the judgment upon the earth, we're talking about the enemies of God. Because when the psalmist says, come and see and behold, it's a call to the wicked to realize that their doom is sure. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some understand slowness, but He's patient towards you, 
not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You think about Revelation chapter five or chapter fifteen, and you can't help but think about these chapters in Revelation as you think about desolation and and God's judgment. And just a few verses just to point out the future that awaits the ungodly. Verse fifteen. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Sorry. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Verse 7 of the same chapter. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And then 16, chapter 16, verse 1. And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out upon the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The psalmist is calling the wicked to come and behold the, the desolations that are coming. The judgment is coming. Repent. Give homage to God. Not only as he says there's going to be judgment upon the wicked, but there's going to be peace on earth. It says in verse 9, he makes the wise, sorry, he makes the wars to cease. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear and he burns the chariots. You see, there's going to be peace. Now it's become a little joke among those beauty pageant, pageant contestants when they ask them, you know, what, what could you hope for? And they hold the mic up to their, their, uh, their them and they say, you yeah, know, what could you hope for? What are, what are something you'd love to see? And, you know, they all seem to say world peace. They want world peace. But you know, there will never be peace on earth. Peace comes through victory. And there will not be peace on earth until Jesus Christ returns with His saints and He subjugates His enemies. And then we will have peace. The reason that there will be no war is there will be no more enemies of Christ left to fight. You see, Christ will defeat His enemies, and then we will have peace. Christ will rule from Jerusalem on this earth for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. But notice God says not only will He have victory, but He will what? He will break the bow and cut the spear and then burn the chariots. It's kind of an escalation of war-making machinery. We would say that he would, he would break the machine gun and, and he would cut the missile and he would destroy the tank. You don't need any weapons of war because man will be at peace. Right? We'll be in a right relationship with our God and a right relationship with each other because sin divides, sin separates, and sin kills. It will be true peace on earth. You know, I remember looking forward as a kid to Christmas Day and my parents would remind me, you've got to be good because Santa was coming. They thought that those cool presents would modify or get me to modify my behavior so that I would be good or at least be better, I guess you could say. But it really did in some ways because what I knew was coming in the future affected the way I acted in the present. So the psalmist wants you to behold. He wants you to think about the future rule of the Lord. And this certain future, because it is certain, should give you hope in the turmoil of the present. 
No matter how tough times are, or even how tough they will become for us and our posterity, your eternal destiny is set. This is how our brethren in the past, how did they go to the burning stake? How did they face the crucifixions and going to the lions? How is that possible in, in great physical harm and, and personal loss in the present? What did they do? What they set their minds on the things above, as Paul says in Colossians 3. Right? They set their minds and their hearts on Christ and their future glory and the future inheritance in heaven. That's hope. We live in a world without hope. That's why people panic. That's why people are, are enslaved to their fears. They have no hope. For them, it's death, and then they don't know. And that scares them. And as they look at this virus, and as they look at their circumstances, and they see their own mortality, what they see is a, is a darkness. As Shakespeare says, it's the undiscovered country for unbelievers. But for us, we know what that country looks like. It's a country where God rules, and there will be peace. But not only does he say, look and behold, but he says, verse 10, cease striving and know that I am God. Another way of saying that is is be still. If we cease striving, then we we abandon what is being done. We we stop it. It's a warning, first of all, to the world to to stop striving on their own, refusing God's rule. Remember, his enemies are roaring against him and his people. You see, that's the, that's the issue with most people, with all people, I could say, is it's their pride. They don't want to admit that they need help. They don't want to admit that they are sinners. Right? It's not the, it's not the, the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. But they have to understand that they're very sick. You know, this virus doesn't have a 100% mortality rate. But sin does. Sin is going to kill each and every one of us. But it doesn't have to kill everyone physically, right? For those of us that know the, know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have our eternal home with Jesus Christ. We are not separated by our sin from Him forever. There is not an eternal death in the sense that we're separated from God. But for those that, that don't know God, the wicked, the ungodly, right, the atheists of this world, there is a judgment and it's coming. Cease striving. Right? Confess your sins. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that He has paid the penalty for your sin, that that sin that you commit is separating you from God. And Jesus Christ took upon all the wrath that you deserved upon Himself on the cross. The wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. And there's no other name under heaven which may men may be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to Him. And then it's also a warning to believers. Because we can have a tendency to have a restless heart. We, we, can, we can seek after other things. We can be dissatisfied in trials and say, Oh Lord, why me? And we question God's goodness. What We have to learn to trust God. 
But not only do we see striving, but we, we know that what? God says, know that I am God. It's an idea of no, of, of recognizing His sovereignty, His authority over our lives. Because everyone will submit. We either submit willingly in this life, or we will submit to the Lord Jesus Christ when He returns. Philippians 2, 10 and 11, So that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the truth, the truth is that we know who God is. And we know what He's done. And, and to know God is to know Him. We know about God from His, from His Word. It's the Word of God that reveals the character and nature of God. His works. We see a, a general sense of who He is in His creation. But specifically, we know about His holiness and His, His love through His Word. You see, the gospel, as we, as we, as we share it to the world, it, it tells the world that God is reconciling the world to itself or to Himself through Jesus Christ. The gospel tells the world that they need to repent of their sins and submit to Christ. The gospel tells the world that, that God is love and He demonstrated His love in the greatest way possible and that He gave His only Son as a sacrifice for sin. See, God's presence gives hope to His people. And finally God says, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Exalted means to, to lift high. It's to a, it's a recognize that God is supreme. God will demonstrate His greatness, His supremacy, His sovereignty over earth. When Jesus Christ returns and rules and reigns, God will be glorified. He's glorified now through His church, and He will be glorified by all people. And all nations will accept His Lordship. You know, I was talking the other day with someone and they were just telling me about, they, they come into contact with people and how they were kind of mocking death. And you know, they were feeling like, oh, I have, I have plenty of money, I have plenty of security, I'm not really worried about, you know, what's going to happen next. They're, they're trying to, to put it out of their minds. You know, they have their security in the things of this life, but we all know just how fleeting that is. How many people do we know that have lost their jobs just like this and they're in financial difficulty? Or someone in their family gets sick and they lose a loved one. Right? Life is fleeting. They're, these people who, who say those things and, and mock death and refuse to submit to Christ, they are the fools in Psalm 14.1 who say there is no God. He doesn't have any authority over my life, and I will not exalt Him. But there is coming a day, brethren, when Jesus Christ will be exalted. There is coming a day. And that should give you hope. We look around and we see wickedness, and we see sin rampant, and we see the selfish nature of people as they hoard supplies, because honestly, when it comes down to it, what do people think about first and foremost? Themselves. should give you hope that God, that Christ is going to do away with all of that. 
Brethren, take comfort in God's presence. Have hope. If you lose your job, Christ is still Lord. If you get sick, Christ is still Lord. Your hope is secure. Christ will return. He will judge the the world and He will reward you, His saints. The psalmist sums up and he adds this refrain to, to encourage us, encourage his readers. And he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Now some of you may remember the great peanut butter and margarine panic of 1969. Maybe that was more of a, a localized United States panic. When the, around October of 1969, this panic burst on the national scene and what it was that people were afraid and somehow this spread and even got into the news media. There even, even became congressional, even, even, even had congressional hearings, excuse me, on this topic where they were, they were fearful that teenagers and, and young adults were shooting up mayonnaise and peanut butter. Now, I know you're all kind of smiling quietly to yourself and saying that's preposterous. But I bring that up because the media picked it up and it became a genuine fear. You can even read about this, this panic in, in President Nixon's presidential papers of that year and in the congressional testimony. You see, I'm not saying that the, the pandemic and the, and the, the issue that the, with the virus that we're facing now is, is any less real. But my pointing out is that fear is contagious. Right? And it's easy and can be easy even for us, even for you as believers, to give in to that fear. I pray that you've been encouraged today from Psalm 46. We've seen how God's presence dispels fear and anxiety. James says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. We've seen how God's presence gives confidence to His people. We've seen how God's presence gives comfort to His people. We've seen how God's presence gives hope to His people. I think it's appropriate to end with the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we just thank You, Lord. We thank You, Lord, that You are present in our lives. We thank You, Lord, that though the seas may roar and the mountains fall or the, the nations rise up against You, that You are still sovereign. You are still in control. You are still unchanging. Pray, Lord, that Your presence would give us confidence that we would not fear, that Your presence would give us hope and give us comfort. Father, help us to focus on the things above and and not on the cares and worries and concerns, the fears of those all around us. Lord, You're going to provide for us. You're going to help us in our time of need. Lord, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for this time of worship. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.